You're listening to the Bright City Podcast. To hear more about our gatherings, groups, and what's going on in the life of our church, visit brightcity.church or follow Bright City Church on Instagram. Today's message is from Pastor Nick. Well, this morning concludes the journey that we've been taking as a church together. And if you've been here or not been here, uh, kind of what we're just really, really, really digging down into and, and hoping and believing for this church is that the future is bright. Um, and not only are we believing this for the church, we're believing it for you individually that, that your future is bright. And kind of the reason we believe that is not because you're a cheery person or that you've got it going on or that we've got it going on or that we are a cheery church, even though there's a lot of neon in the crowd this morning, which I'm super excited about. Um, but we believe this because of a few things that we've been trying to really rally our hearts around. And one of the first things that we've been trying to rally our hearts around is that Jesus is the center of it all. And because Jesus is the center of it all at this church, our future is bright. And what I love about that is that doesn't have anything to do with me, but has everything to do with Jesus. And if I were you, I would put my money on Jesus before I, you put your money on me. Um, yes, I got an amen down here. <laughs> Can't get an amen all year, but I got one right there, as you should. But when it comes to your life, is that when you put Jesus at the center of it all, your future becomes bright. And we kind of found that in a passage that we're going to come back to in a second is, is Mark 2. is the first passage that we ever preached uh, as a church together. Is that, that the goal when people confronted or were in the attention of Jesus was to get everyone at the feet of Jesus. And so what happens in our lives is that we have to make that a priority. And if we make that a priority, then our future becomes bright. Another thing that is going to make our future bright is when ownership becomes an honor when ownership becomes an honor as a church we have a culture of ownership and what that simply means is that we're not here to be spectators actually I think there are so many things that you could do on your Sunday that are a lot better than sitting here if being a spectator is your goal like there is football on and people are telling, like I saw someone get out of the car this morning ready for the World Cup at 8.30. I'm like, wow, okay, that's, that's impressive. It's just already started. He's cooler and tote, ready to go. And so when it comes to our lives, the things that we take ownership of are the things that we experience the most fruit from. And so if this is a place of being a spectator, I can tell you that there are so many other things that you would probably enjoy more so. But if this is a place of ownership, I believe that your future is going to be bright. And your future is going to be bright because God is going to work in and through you to do things that you never knew you could do. And so Jesus is at the center of it all. Ownership is an honor. And this week I want to talk about people being our priority. People being our priority. The future is bright of Bright City and the future is bright in your life because people are a priority in your life. Now you might be thinking, people are a lot of things in my life, but a priority is not one of them. And you might be thinking, maybe you need to repeat, people are difficult. Can you say that? People are difficult. Let's, you know you want to say You know you want to get it off your chest. One more time. People are difficult. Now repeat this, I am difficult. A lot less repeating there. 
is what I know about the church is that we do not pretend to be perfect people, but we are imperfect people coming at the feet of a perfect Savior named Jesus. And so the way that this future becomes bright and the brightness of our future depends on how we love people. When you think back to Matthew 5, that's the beauty of that verse is that people will glorify the Father in heaven because they see the heart that you have for the Father and they see the good deeds that you're doing for the people. And so it's just an amazing moment for us as a church. And as you hear in the video is how can we be for people? And if we are for people, then our future is going to be bright. And so what I would love to do is I'm actually going to read Mark 2. But kind of the heart behind this message is I want to just look at how Jesus handled people. But also, I believe that this message is going to be really good for the future people that you will encounter next week as you go to your families and wherever you're going. Because I know that some of us might be filled with a little bit of apprehension as to what awaits us next week. And so I'm going to give you some things that are going to be good for your future five years from now, but I'm also going to be giving you some things that are going to be good and allow you to eat as much turkey turkey as possible in the peace of God as you can. Um, So let's read Mark 2. Several days later, Jesus returned to Capernaum, and the news quickly spread that he was back in town. Soon there were so many people crowded inside the house to hear him that there was no more room even outside the door. While Jesus was preaching the word of God, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man. But when they realized that they couldn't even get near to him because of the crowd, they went on top of the house and tore away the roof above Jesus' head. And when they had broken through, they lowered the paralyzed man on the stretcher right down in front of him. When Jesus saw the extent of their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, My son, your sins are now forgiven. This offended some of the religious scholars who were present, a.k.a. difficult people. And they reasoned among themselves, who does he think he is to speak this way? This is blasphemy for sure. Only God himself can forgive sins. Jesus supernaturally perceived their thoughts and said to them, why are you being so skeptical? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are now forgiven, or stand up and walk? But to convince you that the Son of Man has been given authority to forgive sins, I say to this man, stand up, pick up your stretcher, and walk home. Immediately the man was healed and sprang to his feet in front of everyone, and they left for home. When Jesus, when the crowd witnessed this miracle, they were awestruck. They shouted praises to God and said, we have never seen anything like this. So this is how we began the church. We began the church by asking the question, what would happen if Jesus was at the center of it all and that people took ownership among themselves to do whatever it took so that the message of the gospel and the healing of Jesus to could get to the people that it needed to get to. And now we're just going to talk about people being a priority because what I love about Jesus is it's no secret that Jesus had a way with people. When you read this passage, it's so crazy just how he dealt with everyone in the moment. 
It was almost like he was this pastor or this like rabbi and everyone had access to his inbox and could send him and fire off any email that they wanted to telling them exactly what they thought about him. But the most beautiful thing about Jesus is you didn't even have to tell Jesus what you thought about Jesus. Like Jesus knew what people thought about Jesus and even then he was able to deal with it rightly. Like I'm telling you, if I could read minds, then I would be struggling. Like if I knew what everyone thought of me all the time, like I would just be in a corner shuddering. But Jesus, he was able to deal with the difficult. He was able to deal with the needy. He was able to deal with zealots. He was able to deal with the political types. He was able to deal with the down and out. And what is amazing that with each type of person, he knew exactly what to say at any moment. Like he knew how to acknowledge the four, even though the point wasn't about the four and say, man, I, I see y'all's faith. Like I just, I see your willingness. I see your availability. I see your tenacity and I see your expectancy. And I just want to stop before I tell this man to jump around and, and hop around like, I want to acknowledge what it took for you guys to get this person here. Like, there was standing room only. It was worse than trying to get Taylor Swift tickets. And he was like, I see what you did in this moment. And then he's able to look at the person who needs the healing. And it's like, hey, I know why you came here. And what you're really wanting is some external healing. But let's start with the heart first. And so he heals his heart. He just lets the guy know, like, hey, I need you to know before you get up and run away, like, your sins are forgiven. Like, you've just encountered Jesus, the living God, and I'm not here to throw stones. I'm here to say that you are forgiven. And then he gets to the fun part, and he's like, but hey, while we're here, how amazing would it be to allow you to run away from this place and take your mat, but also make the day of some religious folks in the crowd? And so he knew how to deal with the religious people as well. And what I love about Jesus is this translated into the crowds as well. Like Jesus was able to come into crowds and he wouldn't be overwhelmed. Like anytime I go to somewhere like even Disney World, it's like it's the crowds that get me. I'm like overwhelmed. I'm like, okay, now we're standing in another line. Okay, here I am in another line. This is the bathroom ride. And I'm, I'm in the bathroom ride and then I'll go to the other rides later. Sometimes crowds overwhelm me, but with Jesus, crowds never overwhelmed him. I love this passage in Matthew 9. It might be familiar to some, but he says, even in the midst of crowds, this is what happens. He saw the vast crowds of people and Jesus' heart was moved deeply with compassion because they seemed weary and helpless like sheep wandering without a shepherd. He wasn't like, oh my gosh, there's so much work to do. Oh my gosh, like what am I going to do next? Like, oh my gosh, like what event can I plan next to get these people into the right leadership in the right places? He just saw the crowds and he had compassion, compassion filled his heart. And then so when you're reading Matthew gospel, Matthew's Gospels, compassion fills his heart four more times. It's just a marker of Jesus of how he was able to look and acknowledge and deal with people. People were never an annoyance to him, even to the point of his death when they were about to crucify him. One of the last things that he screams is not, how could you, but Father, forgive them for what they do. And so Jesus had a way with handling 
people. And when it came to people, he was always able to deal with them accordingly. And so what I'd love to do is just give you a few things that I see Jesus doing and how that can help with our ability to keep people as the priority. Because here's what I know is that you cannot have people as a priority in your life if people are an annoyance in your life. And you cannot have people as a priority in your life if you're going to play introverted and back off and not be around people at all. That's not the goal. Being a light, living out Matthew 5, means that you are among the people with the people so that the light can shine through you for the people. That's the light. I don't know who said it, but it's like, hey, showing up is 90% of life. The gospel, 90% of the gospel, 90% of the kingdom is showing up in life. Because if you do not show up, there's a decreased chance that God can shine through you when it comes to people. So how do we learn how to handle people? One of the things that I love about Jesus is that he was able to exercise curiosity rather than jumping to conclusions. So Jesus was able to extend curiosity rather than jumping to conclusions. Jesus had a way of always asking more questions than he answered, right? Like I read somewhere this week, I want to say it was an amazing amount of number of questions that Jesus asked versus the actual answers that he gave. Like he was just a ninja in asking questions rather than telling people what they should do, think, or believe. Can you imagine sitting in a sermon where all I did was ask questions? Tell me, how are you? Who do you say that he is? What do you think about God? I mean, where would we go with that? But for whatever reason, Jesus was able to do that in such a way that led people to discovery in who he was. Going back to that famous passage, this is Matthew 16. I'm just going to read it. He says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, question, who do people say the Son of Man is? Like he knew who he was and he knew who people thought he was. But for whatever reason, he says, hey, who do you and the people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he says, hey, what about you? Like, that would have been a moment if it were me, like, hey, guys, I just want to let you know um, who they say I am is not who I am, and so I just need you to know in this moment, have confidence. But he follows up the question with another question, what about you? And then he asks another one, he says, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Can you imagine if he doesn't ask those three questions? Like, because he asked those three questions, it led to Peter's confession that upheld his life forever. Like, I'm thinking that the Peter who denied Jesus at the fire is probably rehearsing, like, man, I, I think at one time I, I, I learned and I knew who he was. I need to go back to that confession. And I think sometimes when it comes to the people that we interact with is we're more willing to jump to conclusions before we embrace curiosity and ask questions about who they are and what they believe. And here's a bigger one, why they believe what they believe. Like people don't just come out believing things because they come out believing things. There's usually a why behind what we believe. Think about your relationship with Jesus. Like you're not a robot. Like, you're not just someone who one day said, oh, I think I will try Christianity. Like, something happened in your life 
whether good or bad or ugly, that cause you to say that I believe in Jesus because I have tried everything else and everyone else, and it is not the way. He is the way. There's two questions that I've kind of picked up recently that have really helped me a lot. And so this is your Thanksgiving toolbox. Are you ready? All right, here you go. Question number one. Hey, would you please help me understand? You know, used a lot of capital letters there in that text. Help me understand. Is your caps lock button stuck? Or, you know, what, what happened there? Those, those are some angry emojis. Like, did you, is that in your recents? Or is, is that, did you have to search and dig? Another one that I uh, just heard was, hey, t- tell me more. Because I think what happens is people usually say something. And as they're saying something, we're like, okay, here it goes. I'm ready to say something. Rather than just saying, hey, could you, could you tell me more about what you mean by that? Like, hey, why, why do you feel that way? Um, recently, I heard a story about someone who was talking about their church experience and how they had a moment where they were having difficulties for church. And usually when people have difficulties for church, it's like, okay, you know, church hurt, what happened, you know, this, that, that, this, bad relationship, bad breakup, bad this, bad that. And it came from a communion experience. And I was like, whoa, like that would have been the, the thing that I never would have said, hey, tell me more. But it's like, hey, tell me more about that. Tell me more about why you think, like what happened? How did this happen? How did that make you feel? And I think if we're able to ask more questions rather than jumping to more conclusions, then people will become a priority in our lives. And as a result, the gospel will become a priority in their life because they'll see a people that are quick to listen and slow to speak rather than people who are ready to rapid fire off and jump into the first argument that they see either online or in person. If people are going to be our priority, then we cannot come up to people and start jumping all up in their grill and telling them everything and everything and everything and everything and everything that's wrong with them or wrong with this world or wrong with everything that's going on in this world. Like they get enough of that, right? Like you are the break that they need from everything that's going on outside these walls. And so if we're going to be able to do that, we have to be able to extend curiosity rather than jumping to conclusions, right? This is what Jesus did with the woman uh, where they brought her before him and they were ready for him to throw the stones at her, right? Like he's just drawing in the sand. Like Jesus could outlast anyone. He's like, I, I, I am the king of awkward moments and I'm going to outlast you all. <laughs> and he just follows up with a question like, hey, did anyone throw a stone at you? I don't either. Get out of here. Go do your thing. This curiosity that always led Jesus to keeping people as a priority. And so when it comes to your life, do you lead with curiosity or do you lead with conclusions? Here's another one. Do you lead with curiosity or do you lead with condemnation? Because when I, when I read the gospel truths, it says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so what happens is not only do we not live under condemnation, it's not our job to extend condemnation. Like that's like we are all not qualified for that. There's only one who's qualified for that. It's God the Father and he's in heaven. He's perfect. and He knows everything. So Jesus, he was so good at leading and asking more questions and finding out more. Because the beautiful thing about questions is questions usually mean you care, right? Like unless you're just being condescending and you're like, tell me more, tell me more. What do you know? What do you know? What do you know? 
No. Nine times out of ten, it's like, hey, help me understand. Help me. It's because you care. You really care about the person. If people are going to be our priority is that we have to be led by our curiosity rather than jumping to conclusions. Another thing that Jesus did so well, so well, is he always prioritized love over belief. And here's what I mean by that. Is that his love was always a higher priority than their belief. So when you read verses like Romans 2 where it says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, I think a lot of times we think it's some truth that we're going to spit at someone that's going to lead them to repentance. But when you read the Gospels, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Those gospel truths is God's love that leads us to repentance. Early on, I used to catch a lot of flack for uh, not posting the statement of faith on the website. And so, you know, it was like an extra step. People would like email in and be like, hey, can we get the statement of faith? And I'd be like, yeah, of course. You asked for it. You can have it. It's great. It's there. But I just didn't post it on the website. And I did it for two reasons. The first reason is because I found it really hard to pull a selection of 10 to 20 things out of the whole Bible. It's like, okay, so these are the things and you make your list. And I was like, well, actually it's the the good book. That's the thing. And there's a lot in there. Like, you know, even the Jewish people had 613 things and they were really brilliant. And I'm like, I just, I don't know how you land on 10 to 25 things. It just it was really weird and really hard. So I was like, hey, I, I know what you mean. And I will play the game of the, the churches of, of America thing that we got going on. But it made it really hard to figure out what do I send them? Because it's not that we have pet theologies. We have an all theology that's in the scriptures. And that's all that we need. It's sufficient for every day. And the other reason that I felt like it was hard to post the statement of faith is I always wanted Bright City to be a place in a community where people could come and feel comfortable, even if they didn't necessarily believe the right things. And so what I look and see in the life of Jesus is not that he lowers truth any way at all. Like he is high truth, but he is also high, high love, right? And I think what happens in our lives is that we lead with truth and then we let love follow. And that's not how Jesus lived his life. He said, hey, I'm going to lead with love and I'm going to lead with love and I'm going to lead with love. And then I'm going to continue to lead with love because you are never going to arrive at right truth. I mean, this is the word made flesh, right? Like he was truth. He was the truth that walked all up on this earth. That's the Greek. And he always led with love before he led with truth. So when you look at our lives and it's like, this is how Jesus lived and this is how Jesus dealt with us. And this is also how he deals with us, right? So when you see it, you see it in his life. It's like love over belief. So when he calls the disciples to himself, he's calling 12 people who have a wrong theology, right? That's not how you start a church. Well, hey, you know, you can be a part of this community, but we just we we just want to, you know, acknowledge two things. Number one, that you believe this and number two, that you believe that. Number three, that you believe this and number four, that you believe that. And then number 23, that you believe that. It's like, oh, my gosh, like I don't this is not Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. This feels very heavy. And so when you look at Jesus calling disciples, he's like, hey, zealots, come. Hey, fishermen, come. Hey, tax collectors, I'm looking for you. Hey, like, can you imagine all the ways they would have voted? It would have been left, right, and up and down. Like, it would have been all over the map. He's like, hey, hey, I just, 
This is, this is a place where love is going to lead you to right belief, not the other way around. Like you're not going to be indoctrinated into love. Like we, we, we all meet people and we know that that does not work. But not only is that true in the disciples' life, isn't that true in your life? Like think back to your conversion. Did you become a follower of Jesus and receive salvation, or receive salvation all of a sudden because you have the perfect theology? Right? Like, I'm just ready to get baptized. I've, I've memorized Genesis through Revelation. And I have a perfect theology when it comes to eschatology. And I, some of you are like, what is he talking about? Is big words. End of times. It's because nobody knows. Nobody understands. We have a hunch. And, and, you know, I had a perfect theology of church. And I have a perfect theology of how this should work and that should work. And so all because of my perfect theology... Jesus loves me. And so now I've accepted faith and I'm going to get baptized into Jesus. But actually, just kidding, it's my right theology that got me baptized in Jesus. No. What does the Bible say? While we were still enemies, Christ pursued us, right? Like, I think sometimes we're so great at singing about reckless love, but we're so slow to extend reckless love. Yeah. And so when you, when you think about our life, it's like, man, Jesus, he approached me with right love before he approached me with right truth. In fact, it was right love that helped me see the right truth, right? And then you think about, okay, so that's how he approaches me. And then that's how I keep going, right? Is, is that I don't, I don't ever arrive at having perfect theology. Like, I don't ever arrive at having right belief. Do I do my best to sin under the word of God? Absolutely. But I always know at the end of the day, he does not love me because I have a right belief. He loves me because I have a faith in Jesus and a hope in the power of the cross and what happened on that day in Calvary and the fact that the tomb is empty and that Jesus has been raised from the dead and that his spirit is at work in me and at work in this world. And so when it comes to having a people and having people as our priority is we are going to have to lead with love before we lead with right belief and theology and doctrine. In fact, it is going to be your love that helps them see the right theology, belief, and doctrine. Like how many weddings have you sat at and you've heard uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 13 read over it? Love is patient, love is kind, love, you know, like there's this whole passage about love. And at the end of it, Paul is making it so clear. He's like, hey, I need you to know there's a lot of things going on here, but you need to know that love is the only one that endures. All right? Like he's like, hey, I, I need you to know that there's, there's a lot going on here. There's belief, there's gifting, there's all these things, but love is greater than them all. And so when I look at the life of Jesus, it was his love that transformed the heart, not the right theology that transformed the heart. The theology comes later. The belief comes later. All those things, like, I mean, when you read the Gospels, like he didn't heal them and then they knew everything perfectly. They ran away before they could talk to him again and they experienced the Gospel. And this is what it means to have a posture in life where the people are the priority. It's like, hey, I... I'm going to extend right love to you, even though you might not have right belief or right theology. Like, hey, I'm, I, I mean, honestly, isn't that right theology? To extend love? 
rather than trying to indoctrinate someone and say, hey, you know, you can't get my love until you believe. Like when you read Luke's gospel and the prodigal comes running or coming back home over the hill, it wasn't like the dad said, hey, stop here for a second. I need you to know, I need to know what you learned and I need to know why you learned it and I need you to know how you're going to repay me. That's not what he said. He clothed him, he restored him, and he killed the brisket and had a massive party. This is what it means to follow Jesus, and this is what it means to have a posture where people are the priority. You are going to go somewhere next week, and everyone in the room is not going to believe everything you believe. Just let that sink in for a second there. Because some of you are going to come back fired up, and you're going to be like, my dad was this way, and my uncle, even though we know he's the weird uncle, he was this way. I'm a weird uncle. I can say that. <laughs> and, then, and then my cousin was this way, and this was on their car, and that was in their Facebook. And like, stop being surprised by what they believe and start surprising them by what you believe. He surprised them with the love of God. The love of God. So we're going to embrace curiosity over jumping to conclusions. And we're going to extend right love before we extend right theology. And Jesus had a way where he could see what could be versus what's right now. Right? Like he had a way of seeing what could be versus what's right now. It's the potential that always had a higher value over the present. Right? Like when he calls the disciples, it wasn't because they were the ragtag good guy that he needed to plant the church, right? Like, hey, we could use some fishermen. This will be great. Hey, those guys that compete over being the greatest and are super competitive, let's, gonna, let's get them. That's going to be really amazing. The guy that betrays me, I want him. Put him on my team. It's going to be amazing. He's going to kiss me. I'm going to be crucified. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be wonderful. Let's do this thing. No, he didn't see what was in the present. He saw what was in the future. And so when you're reading back and you're looking at Peter's confession, let's go back to that again. It's a powerful moment. It is, right? Until you read what happens afterwards. He confesses that Jesus is the Christ, and then Jesus is like, hey, I tell you what, like that confession, that's going to take you places on the church that is to come is going to be built on that confession. And then Jesus starts to tell them a little bit more about what's coming. And then Peter's like, uh-uh, nope, not today. And he literally says, not, this is not happening. You get behind me. And just, like he essentially kind of does this thing and he's against God's work and he's, I can't have this anymore. And, and, and there's some words exchanged and maybe somebody uses the S word, Satan. It's like, okay, well, that was a heated exchange. That, that was a lot there. Get behind me, Satan. That's, that's a strong, strong word there. But it wasn't about that moment, right? It was about the potential of what Peter could be. And I think sometimes what happens is we don't allow people to have a chance in life because we pigeonhole them to what's presently true rather than what could potentially become and what potentially could be. If people are going to be a priority in your life, 
You have to hang on God's truth that God says that he began a good work in someone and he's going to carry it to completion. And so if God's not done with them, then that means we can't be done with them. And if God's still working in them, that means we still have to love them. And if God's still making a way for his light to come in their life, then we have to be on team God. We have to be on team Jesus. We have to be on team let the kingdom take root in the heart whenever it takes root in the heart. If you're wondering what this is, this is called hashtag parenting. It's like, all right, we're all just waiting on each other. Kids waiting on the parents to grow up and the parents are waiting on the kids to grow up and it's one big waiting game of of God's potential versus what's presently true in this moment. I mean, think about your life. Like, are you perfectly perfected? Some of you are going to say yes, but you're not. <laughs> like, like, Jesus sees the potential in your life. Yeah. Like, he, he sees the potential in your life. Were you always not difficult? No. Are you sometimes still a little difficult? Yes. Like, do you want to be Lord of your life versus Jesus being Lord of your life? Yes. And what does Jesus do? He's like, hey, that's okay. I'll wait this thing out. I can be patient. I'm not here, but I don't care about what's presently happening. I'm here for the future, Nick. I'm here for the future, whomever. Like, I mean, that's that's what it means to be a people waiting on eternity, right? Like, we are here, and we're trying to do this thing, and we're trying to make the best of it of what we can. But what does the Bible speak of? It speaks of the power of and the potential of the future rather than the present. He doesn't say the kingdom's coming full right now, so live your best life now. He says, hey, it's coming and it will come and Jesus is coming back and one day you will be with him and one day he will be with you and one day all the pain and the suffering and the strife of this world, everything's going to fade away and you will exist in perfect love and perfect pleasure with the Father in the heavenly city that he's prepared for us. Jesus is about the future potential over the present moment. And so when it comes to loving people in your life, are you hung on the present or are you hoping for a better future? If people are going to be the potential or people are going to be the priority of our life, we have to be able to see the potential rather than what's presently happening. You do not want Nick five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago leading this church. It'd be anarchy be craziness. You would not be here. It would just be me and my family wouldn't even be here because they'd be like, I'm over this. Like, isn't that every one of our stories? Like God is still at work. The future is bright because God is working in your heart. And here's the hard part. God is working in their heart too. (laughs) It's the unseen work, right? It's the unseen work. He doesn't work on the surface. He doesn't just say, oh, uh, you know, one day they got a new haircut and they kept a job and now everything's good. No, he's working in the heart. He's working under the surface. He's doing the surgical work that only he can do. Yeah. If people are going to be our priority, we have to value the potential of what could be over the present moment and what is. This is how Jesus lived. This is how he walked through his life. This is how he loved people. This is how he was able to walk with the disciples. This is how he was able to love them. This is how he was able to say, you know what? I kept them all until the very end. 
because he valued the potential of what could be over the present moment when they were fighting and bickering and wanted to talk about this and wanted to talk about that and then all the things that they did. He's like, I, I don't see any of the problems. I see the potential. I'm going to deal with the problems, but I'm, I'm more, more hoping for the potential of what's to come. And so when it comes to your life, are you hung on the present more so than the future? Are you hung on in defining people based off of who they are right now or who they were in the past rather than who they can be if Jesus shows up in their life? So if we are going to be a church where the future is bright, we have to be willing to embrace curiosity over jumping to conclusions. We have to be able to extend right love before we even begin talking about right theology. And we have to be able to value the potential of what could be over the present of what is actually happening in people's lives. You are going to face difficult and hard conversations next week. You are going to face difficult and hard conversations next month, next year, next two years, next three years, next four years, however it looks for your life. And so the question is, is are we going to be able to say that we kept people as a priority? Like we were able to have thick skin and a soft heart. We were able to say, you know what? This is how Jesus would love them. So I'm going to do the hard work in loving them like Jesus. Church, I believe that our future is bright because we are going to love people like Jesus. Not because we're going to have everything figured out and we're going to be able to jump to conclusions and we're going to be able to say, you know what? Theology is more important than us loving you first. And then if you believe the right things, then we can love you. And then we're not going to say, you know what? I just how you are acting presently is not how I like for you to act presently. No, we're going to wait. We're going to be patient. We're going to love people. We're going to extend the love of the Father and the heart of the Father. And they're actually going to see the Father's heart before they believe in the Father's heart all because of how Jesus lives through you. How amazing is that? Isn't that how he loves us? Isn't that how he dealt with us? So how about we do the same unto others? Amen? Amen. Father, we just ask right now for um, just extra strength, Lord. Like this is, this is the five-year plan for the church, but this has also got to be the five-day plan for us as a people. Father, as we step into hard situations, as we step into um, just hard moments uh, with people, God, I just pray that you would give us a right view of ourself. We are not perfect. Sometimes we can be a little prideful. And Father, I just pray that we would just every moment, every interaction, we could ask ourselves this question, how would Jesus love this person? How would he see this person? How would he interact with this person? How would he extend grace to this person? How would he be patient with this person? And Father, ultimately we know uh, how we measure is how you measure us, God. And we want to be measured by grace. We want to be measured by forgiveness. We want to be measured by your love. And so, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that your spirit would raise up in us. Father, I pray that we would have the love in the heart of the Father. God, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening in to Bright City. If this was encouraging, we'd love for you to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're an owner at Bright City, you can give online at brightcity.church or on Venmo to Bright City. 
Before you go, we'd love to speak this benediction from Matthew 5 over you. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We love you, Bright City.